Hey, we're back with the first episode of season two of the Voices podcast. And today we hear from Ian and Terry Rudder, alongside Ministries European directors for the last decade. They've been serving in cross cultural ministry for basically all of their adult lives and have a lot of uh, really insightful and timely things to share about the state of the European church more broadly and about some specific things happening in and around France. And lastly, we talk about uh, the things that they've seen over the arc of their ministry that lead to success in cross-cultural ministry. So whether you're a supporter of Alongside, whether you're somebody who is serving cross-culturally in another location, or if you're considering serving yourself uh, somewhere in Europe, I think there's something really valuable for each of you, and uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So uh, we're with Ian and Terry Rudder, and we're having this conversation. I'm in Fresno, and you guys are just the France side of the border in Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, that's only part of the story. You guys have been doing ministry for a long time and in and around France for a long time. And Terry, I wonder how uh, you made it from... Colorado to France uh, as a as a young adult. Can you unpack a bit of that story for us? I'd love to. Um, well, I met up with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ when I was a student at the University of Colorado, and um, I was a brand new Christian, and uh, I just really grew through that movement in my faith and. Uh, God, within a year, led me to go on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. And after um, a short time on staff in Indiana, um, God seemed to have been nudging me to to go to France because I had majored in France French, mm-hmm. and I knew of the needs in France. And so um, I eventually took a plane and landed. Uh, in the south of France for a conference mm-hmm. uh, of the uh, different, the, the new ministries uh, in southern Europe, Spain, Italy, and France. The students were getting together for uh, a conference. The, the ministries were not very old at the time. It was in the mid-1970s. And um, there, um, you know, after, oh, I actually met Ian at that conference. <laughs> and then we went back Small to Small detail. <laughs> Back to, to Lyon, and we worked on the campus um, together in, in the brand new ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ uh, in France. So that's very briefly how I got there. And not to not to put you fully on the spot, but uh, in what, uh, let's say in what decade was that? In the 1970s. Okay, in the 1970s. So, yeah. and Ian, um, you are not from Colorado and not from originally from the United States. So um, how did you make your way to France? That's right. <clears throat> well, I came from England. I grew up in England. I um, had somewhat of a similar story in some ways to Terry in that I 
also uh, became a believer, made a commitment to Christ in, in my university years. I was also a French major. I'd studied French. I'd actually lived for a year in France as a student. And when it came time to graduate, um, the same organization, Campus Crusade, was actually recruiting uh, for and seeking people to, to build a team, uh, to build a brand new team to go to France. And I just felt this was uh, this was the thing I needed to do, and this is the thing I wanted to do, and felt as a young, zealous, and enthusiastic believer that I couldn't think of anything else I'd want to do. Mm-hmm. So I left with that ministry, began, as Terry said, a little bit even before she arrived, and then a, a year or so later, I met her, first set eyes on her, met her, and, uh, well, that's another long story, but <laughs> <laughs> we were married uh, a year or so later, okay. and um, we've been here essentially not entirely ever since because we went to the U.S. for seminary studies for a period of time, and we've had a couple of sabbatical stays there, but uh, essentially have lived in France the bulk of our adult lives, and we've raised four children here, mm-hmm. and now have actually, uh, well, seven grandchildren dotted out, or, uh, dotted around the world in about four different, three different countries currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you guys have been in cross-cultural ministry for almost your entire adult life, like you said, and mm-hmm. um, a portion of that now has been as European directors with alongside Ministries International. So um, I, I wonder if you could uh, explain a little bit about what it is your role is as um, European directors, or at least how you see your role as a European directors, and, and maybe just a brief history of, of how you came from the, the Campus Crusade uh, universe to connect with AMI. Yeah, um, well, I can start to try and help un- unpack and answer that question. Um, so it's been about 10 years that we've had a very happy relationship with Alongside Ministries, and it came about very naturally through uh, some, uh, well, some alongsiders. They're still with us, the Cloyd family, uh, James and Cheryl, who were working as missionaries in the same city that we were in at the time, which was Strasbourg in the east of France. Uh, we had long graduated from working with students, per se, and were working much more, were involved in local churches, trying to build bridges between churches. We worked in sort of interdenominational outreaches. And uh, at that time, James and Cheryl uh, approached us and said, well, alongside is a new director, and uh, would we consider that? And uh, we looked at them, we looked at each other, we started talking, um, discussed with the director of the time, the executive director, and uh, decided it would be a very good fit. And it seemed that uh, all the pieces, well, they came together and very very much felt that this was God's leading mm-hmm. and to be the case ever since. So um, that's kind of how it started, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, 10 years ago was about 30 <clears throat> years after um, we had been working towards spiritual renewal in France with the crew France um, and um, we were praying about how God could use us in the latter years of our ministry mm-hmm. and as we prayed we felt led of God to use uh, our past experience and the network of people that we had built up to further the gospel in Europe 
and build into the lives of the next generation of Christian leaders in Western Europe. And the way God answered that prayer was really um, a few short years after that when he called us to Alongside Ministries. And um, I feel really blessed to be with Alongside. I feel like it's um, uh, been uh, a help to us in being able to minister to and mentor the next Christian, the next generation of Christian leaders uh, in Europe, mm-hmm. and these men and women are just amazing. They're very uh, dedicated, um, and they're just giving their lives to the, to sharing the gospel in Europe, mm-hmm. which is a very place. Yeah. yeah, I think too. And just to step back, even uh, just before that uh, that initial approach from James and Cheryl, it, it was kind of the uh, alongside. You, Put, put flesh on the vision, a vision that we had um, that was to, as Terry said, to, to really um, build up uh, the next generation of Christian leaders. But specifically, uh, that involved a move. So we moved, in fact, had moved already by that time to the Geneva area, uh, Geneva being as sort of central to Western Europe, uh, still part of the French-speaking world, but also in Switzerland. Uh, more international, and we wanted to have a, a pan-Europe focus, and um, so so that move came about actually in around 2001, and we were approached by alongside 2005. As I say, it put flesh on our vision because we actually had with alongside an existing network of people that we could relate to, uh, encourage, mentor alongside, as we call them, the people working on the field, and uh, develop and build relationships between them and other groups, and specifically the churches that they were either already serving in or that we hope we could find people to serve in. So it all came together in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds as if um, the Spirit was at work in that season uh, with what the ministry needed and the things that God was putting on your heart after 30 years in in ministry to young adults and on campuses to bring uh, some wisdom and experience uh, for, like you've said, mentorship and coaching and uh, support, relational support, uh, kind of some strategic thinking about how we as an organization connect with uh, local churches, but also at the denominational level. So it seems reflecting back on that time now that it was this, the spirit was moving in a pretty clear way. Um, I just wonder if it felt as clear in that season as it seems it was now. Mm-hmm. With hindsight, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think um, you know, as 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 um, any of us, we were you know certainly asking God to guide and and seeking. And I think we were in a time that we were floundering a little. That is that this vision that we had that was very clear in some ways. We talked about being a networking hub. We never saw it as a physical center per se, but we did see ourselves as kind of radiating out from this area uh, in some way or bringing people in, going out from here. And uh, this this really did come together as uh, we talked with Margie, who was the director at the time. And as she talked about Alongside's vision, really, uh, and they'd actually had the idea of, of some kind of a center and certainly already were developing, obviously, young young leaders and young missionaries. So. 
And yeah. also, um, alongside ministries, was already working with several people that we knew mm-hmm. and several groups yeah. of people yeah. that we knew. That was another thing that helped us to think, well, this is probably a very good fit, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think, too, I'd make and then move on to, to, to who we work with. And historically, alongside, started actually France. We now work in about six countries in Europe, but started in France. And we started working with inside what we call the closest thing to a national church, uh, national Protestant church in France, which is the historic Calvinist or Reformed church. Um, and we we still place uh, people, Christian workers, um, alongside us, as we call them, as churches to serve alongside and under the leadership of the local church. And it was that vision, and we are in that in that con- in that church in that denomination in different parts of the country. As Terry said, they overlapped with some alongside of alongside uh, James and Cyril themselves. We knew already. And uh, we, we just bought into that vision. We just felt it was very much con- in continuity with what we had already been doing or trying to do al- at, at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it made sense. Yeah. So I wonder, um, in this current season, um, as European directors, there's, there have been a few, uh, more than a few, but a few in your in the in the France region uh, of alongside's footprint, some specific alongsiders who've made some big changes, and I just wonder if you want to take some time to highlight a little bit about um, the ministry in France and and how you guys as European directors are are working to support uh, these families as they transition into into new ministry roles. Yes. Um, I- to, as you say, highlight uh, two of our families in France who have just made a major move and transition in ministry. We've already mentioned James and Cheryl Cloyd um, with their two children, Eric, and they moved last year from pastoring a small country village uh, church outside of Strasbourg to an inner city type situation in Strasbourg proper. James is the pastor of a Lutheran church there, and is a very talented Bible teacher, choir director. Mm-hmm. She's also a theologian in her own right. They both have many gifts that God is using to further his kingdom in that inner city, uh, multicultural setting. Um, and their children are also adjusting well to the change, and we really thank God for the Cloyds. Um, who have, I think, been, uh, James and Cheryl, even before they were married, uh, served as alongsiders in France, and I believe they came in sometime in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a long haul for them. And yeah. uh, the Rileys, Matt and Katie and their family, also made a, a move. Exactly. They, did. Mm-hmm. they um, Matt and Katie and their four children uh, have been on our staff in France for, I think, five years. They just moved um, recently from their work in the Reformed Church in eastern France to planting situation on the west coast of France. Uh, Matt and Katie are well suited to pioneering uh, in church planting because uh, Matt is a natural evangelist mm-hmm. and he is, I would say, a natural friend maker. <laughs> 
she is um, definitely has the gift of hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, they have many people in their home, and, and often their four children are also a great asset when it comes to meeting other families uh, through contacts at the children's school, for example. And um, even you know, in just recent weeks, we found out that. Um, having only been in that situation for several months, um, being a discovery group with people in the area that they have uh, recently met. Mm -hmm. Uh, Discovery Mm -hmm. group about the Bible, trying to discover what is in the Bible for many people they they really don't know. So um, anyway, they're Mm -hmm. moving forward uh, with that. And this summer they hopefully will be moving into a a large building Mm -hmm that the, the church, the regional church, is hoping to purchase. Right. And that, I, I would just add, really important uh, reality and reason, another reason, or one of the main reasons we really like the alongside vision, that is that they're not just sort of freelance, uh, independent missionaries. Matt and Katie, with all the gifts they have, uh, really have serving are serving the wider church are sent actually and not church planting but they're not sent in a sense by alongside directly to church plant to say an alongside church they're sent to the national church of france which is now with them mm-hmm. because they've recognized their gifting uh they've proven themselves in another situation in the east of france and now it's the national church that sponsored them essentially not necessarily financially although they've helped financially but uh you might say spiritually authorized them, appointed them to to go and to develop this uh, uh, a new church in this area of Brittany, which is in the west of France, uh, for the Reformed Church. So it's really a sign of um, confidence in them. Uh, it's a sign of solidarity and also of appre- appreciation, but also I think and this is a, almost a change in the mindset, it would seem, of the National Church, a recognition that Outside missionaries are needed and can be used and are, are helpful to the furthering of the gospel um, by the, the French Church. So it's it's a really great partnership between the National French Church and a mission agency alongside, which is providing workers mm-hmm. workers for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I just wonder if that highlights a couple of um, key traits or characteristics that you guys in your decade of serving in this kind of uh, mentor coaching supervisory role of alongsiders on the field um, if there are certain things that over that time period have stuck out to you in terms of uh, you've you've highlighted evangelism um, taking advantage of basic everyday opportunities to make connections for uh, some sustainable friendship uh, perseverance I just wonder if there are certain things that stick out to you guys um, as as things that are essential to succeeding in cross-cultural ministry if somebody's listening to this thinking hey I want to do that um, you know what are the things that in in your experience you identify as kind of essential essential characteristics or traits mm-hmm. um, well when I first joined crew uh, at the time the only requirements really that they were looking for were uh, a heart for God and a teachable attitude mm-hmm. and I thought that was amazing and I 
I think that is also very helpful in uh, a cross-cultural situation. Um, wherever we go, it is also very important to build trust, particularly in a culture that's not our own. Um, and we build trust by showing warmth, empathy, and respect. And this is especially true when adapting to a new culture. Um, and um, I remember, too, something I learned early on when I came to this culture, maybe from other missionaries, I don't know, but um, there's this phrase that you probably know. Um, it, it's not necessarily wrong. It might just be different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, have, kind of have that attitude and, um, yeah, just just always mm-hmm. being respectful of the culture. I, I'm a guest in this culture. I'm not French, but, um, you know, I want to respect and I want to serve these people. Um, so I just think um, having a positive attitude and a servant's heart will go a long way in any culture, but especially when you're crossing cultural boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, too, we're talking uh, here about Europe in specific France, but we're working in Scotland, Germany, Estonia, uh, and all of Europe, um, except perhaps Albania. Not strict. What I'm going to say is, is all of Europe has been or has heard, in theory, the gospel. I has been Christianized for centuries. Uh, in some some places in France, you could say there's been some kind of Christian witness for 2,000 years. So, first question: Some even here listening to us might ask is, why do we need missionaries in Europe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and second is, well, we do. I tell you because this is the reality that Europe, and you probably heard, is is very much, in many ways, post-Christian. The, the, the challenge, in other words, of this culture is that people think they've heard the Christian gospel. They think they've heard good news. And uh, as someone once said to me, or one of our friends used to say, it's for them it's neither good nor news. It's mm. not news around mm. for a long, long time, and it's not good because they see all the what they perceive as the bad things done in the name of Christianity, what the church, the wars, wars of religion, and all of this. So European culture in particular, um, if we're coming in as missionaries, we need to be sensitive to that history. It's not the same as going to Virgin Territory in Papua New Guinea. Mm-hmm. Not to say one or more important than the others, just to say that it's different. Mm-hmm. So we need mm-hmm. to be aware of those differences, I think. And I think perhaps for Americans, one of the challenges is that because superficially they're essentially similar, uh, Western cultures, modern, somewhat postmodern, they assume that underneath uh, it's essentially the same, the mindset the same. Well, in some ways, it fundamentally is not. And mm-hmm. I could give, I could fill that out a little bit. But <laughs> Yeah. No, I think what you're hitting at, um, both of you really, is uh, important things, not only for people who are perhaps considering cross-cultural ministry themselves, but uh, for supporters of, of um ministry to Europe specifically. And I think um, you've outlined well the case, why do we need uh, ministry, cross-cultural ministry happening in Europe, and the the specific challenges uh, of doing ministry in a place that's, that's uh, at least superficially viewed by the rest of the Christian world as a quote-unquote reached 
people or reached geography. And um, at, at Alongside, I think we do well in the model of partnership um, that you've got, you guys have outlined already to set up a structure that allows us to step in to be um, respectful and take a posture of learning and listening and uh, to really ha have a long long lasting impact uh, with with good news not just um, not just the pretense of, of Christian living but really transformational mm -hmm salvation in in the gospel message and so um the thing that uh i think i get asked more than any other question really is um w what's the state of the european church i think for our american listeners um europe in a lot of ways is um used as a negative example um, for the the arc or the 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 future of the church um, and for those of us who live this world every day i think there are a lot of signs of hope and optimism and exciting things happening in the european church um, so i just wonder if we could step back and take a, a, a more broad view and say, you know, where do you see the health of the church? What are some exciting signs of life that you see? Ministry, collaboration, specific um, things like you've talked about the Rileys, and um, kind of where do you see where do you see things moving in the next five to ten years? Uh, I think because Europe is so secularized, meaning that Christianity, even faith religion is considered uh, passé, irrelevant. Uh, it's just not on the horizon of many people, at least in any institutional sense. And there's the church buildings everywhere, but they're empty. Um, I happen, I'll just, this is sort of a preface to, what, uh, what, to your question, but we just happened to do a quick uh, Google and look at statistics. And I noticed that three of the countries we actually work in where we have alongside is France, Czech Republic and Estonia are three of the countries in the world among the top, I think, five, uh, where they're the greatest percentage of atheists. So we are mm. talking with that very secular mindset. Uh, but because of that, and this is where I get to the positive, because of that, I think churches, the church as a whole, is having to be creative and also rethink its calling. I've heard Catholic bishops say we're we're finally in a pre-Constantinian situation. Constantine was the Roman Empire that basically made Christian, Christianity the official of the empire. And for many, many would say that was actually <laughs> the beginning of the decline because it became associated with the political uh, power mm -hmm. and so on. Mm -hmm. And he said, we're now in a pre-Constantinian situation. We're back to where the early church was. But what he added, which is what gave me hope, he said, and this is an opportunity for the church. This was a Catholic bishop, and there are many who would say that. And many Catholics are becoming renewed. Many in uh, renewed, that is, finding a living relationship with Christ. Things like the Alpha Course has gone right across denominational lines into all churches at the parish level, so at the grassroots level, uh, giving people, providing people with an opportunity to, to discover a living relationship with Christ. There are prayer groups that have sprung up all over France. There are, na there are national movements, actually, 
typically they're Catholic because that's a majority culture in France, but they're typically also would, would call themselves ecumenical in, in the sense that they're open and they have Protestant members. They have spawned uh, prayer groups, um, outreaches, evangelistic movements uh, that have gone worldwide. Um, you might not know the names because they may not be so familiar in the U.S., although they have branches in the U.S. and go by different names. And um, this this is, uh, to us, very encouraging. And, and, and there are, there's a whole new generation, and this is where we're, <laughs> we're already the older generation. But as you know, uh, groups like, I suppose you could name a few, like Hillsong or... Mm -hmm. uh, a more independent type churches that are being very creative too and this is true in different places across Europe and not all are exports or imports from outside but some are indigenous from within uh, but they're more youth orientated and uh, contemporary and are trying to speak to the, the felt needs of a generation that actually is more open now probably to spirituality you know not necessarily to institutional Christianity or religion, but to uh, the spiritual dimension of life. And uh, so there are many opportunities in that sense today, I believe. And mm -hmm. we we just need to step into them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think that's what we are doing. <laughs> I think we can give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back and say that is what we are doing. That's what um, we are doing. And and it's something that you guys are a major part of uh, in the in the mission and vision of alongside. I think um, what a lot of people who support ministries like alongside or support alongside specifically uh, are curious about when I have those conversations with them is you know what does it take nuts and bolts to pull off. Uh, cross cultural ministry, and I think your um, pastoring mentoring support role it's actually uh in the in the mission world you know we call it member care um, mm -hmm. but uh f for those not it you know in the industry so to speak um taking care of people well loving people well making sure that um, their families are cared for their spiritual needs are met and that they're not on an island of isolation doing ministry kind of in toil. Those things are vitally important to long-term success in any ministry, but particularly in cross-cultural ministry. And um, I just want to take this opportunity to say that you guys are a, a critical component of that. And um, so if, if you're a supporter of alongside ministries, uh, know that um, this is a value that we we hold very highly and, and that Ian and Terry work at um, daily with our alongsiders on the field. So I just want to say thanks for that. It's really an important part of sustainable, high-quality ministry. Well, thank you. Thank I, you, Donald. I mean, I, I think yeah. we, we just love what we're doing, and so we it must be that God has put us there. You know, God has uh, put us here because it just it's a great fit, and it's what He's called us to. And mm -hmm. we love the alongsiders. There's really some of the greatest people, and we are very committed, um, dedicated, um, many long term. Not all are or have to be, and we don't assume that, but. Um, we do typically when we recruit or advertise positions, they, you know, starting at maybe just a two-year commitment, but quite a number um, have stayed on or 
have even trained in Europe and become full-blown pastors, James mm -hmm. and Cheryl, mm -hmm. and um, been ordained in the European churches and so on. So, um, but all, um, you know, all there are many different types of places and positions to 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 serve places to serve. So. Um, there are churches asking for help, and there so are. there's lots of room for people to come over and um, use the gifts that God has given to them for the furthering of his kingdom here in Europe. So we look forward to people joining us. And I should add, we have some that are brand new. That's just, I think, um, Maimona was one of them, uh, just arrived in Europe any, anyway last week after preparing to come, preparing uh, raising her support, uh, developing prayer support, um, saying goodbye to family and now moving over here. Actually, in one sense, she's also saying hello to family because she's got family on both sides of the ocean. She was actually raised in France and is now returning to work in the North African uh, background community in Marseille. And that's uh, her father actually was of Moroccan origin, her mother American and uh, both followers of Christ. They started the House of Hope there in Marseille, and now she's going back to to serve there and to um, to move that along. Uh, it's an it's a great opportunity. So she's one of the new alongsiders. Another couple who are now in Scotland, touring Scotland, and uh, going planning to go back there to work in churches there. So that that's encouraging because you know this is a this is not static. This is a dynamic. Uh, a dynamic movement and things are continuing uh, opportunities are there and people are coming we're praying for more workers to come out uh, into God's harvest I can't think of a better place to leave it than that so um, thanks for your time and uh, we will chat again soon okay thank You're you Donald welcome. thank you